Welcome Organic Matrix members. Today we have an incredible guest that's going to solve a lot of our problems, or at least help us in solving our problems. Ron is a passionate leadership management development coach with 28 years of experience in diversified industries. As an expert facilitator, Ron believes in involving participants in their learning, leading to higher engagement and quality results. Ron is also a voracious reader. He stays current with the latest research and philosophies, which he loves sharing with his clients. The people who need to hear this podcast are those who are struggling being those who are struggling building sustainable relationships post-pandemic, and those who feel lost when it comes to empathy. Those who struggle with regulating their emotions, this podcast episode is here to benefit you. Life changed so fast right before our eyes when COVID hit. Nearly all of us have suffered extreme loss. Those who have been listening since the beginning know that I lost my mom from COVID in 2020. This episode is dear to my heart because like everyone else, I, I too have struggled climbing on the horse and participating in society. It's scary to begin building relationships again after loss. Sometimes it seems safer to stay detached, but today our guest Ron is going to help us build the confidence to take steps towards building relationships again. Welcome, Ron. It's a pleasure to have you on the Organic Matrix. Thank you, Sam. It's good to be here. I appreciate it. So, Ron, where are you from? I uh, grew up in New Jersey. So I a born and bred New Jersey guy. Grew up in uh, in Morris County, and uh, I've been living uh, in Montclair for the past 21 plus years. I'm from Staten Island, so we're like right next to each other. Staten Island's near and dear to my heart too. Uh, one one of the reasons I say that simply is I, I had the incredible opportunity a number of years ago to run the New York Marathon, and we started in Staten Island, and I'll, I'll always remember the start. <laughs> <laughs> That's an incredible... What inspired you to work in the field of emotional intelligence? You know what, Sam? I think as I as I thought about that, I have always just been interested and, and just really fascinated about with how people interact, how how people work together and, and just how people form relationships and, and really just how people get along has always been of interest to me. So ever since you were young, like when did it start? I think I do think it started even even as a youngster, I remember just, you know, some of my some of my childhood friends and just looking at how we got along, who got along with who, who was closer with whom and for what reasons and how we all tended to solve conflict differently. It was always just interesting to me. I love that. So you were like always observant to the human, the human nature. Yeah, yeah. What have you noticed about people's social behaviors after the pandemic? You know, it's, and again, as I, and you were talking just, you know, before the show, ponder, pondering this, my, my observation has been several things, and that people are reacting differently as we are coming through it, and, and even as we went through it, as we're going through it, and now really coming, for me at least, coming through the end of it. Some people have really, really distanced themselves tremendously from any sort of social interaction. And as we started to come out of it, my observation has been some some people are so happy and just so excited to be, again, coming out of it, that they're getting back into the swing of things, if you will, really, really, uh, you know, just just full full steam ahead. Others uh, are, are just, you know, kind of playing playing the middle of the road, if you will, you know, being cautious, yes, I'll go out, yes, I'll do some things. I also think, and, and, and again, it, it's been my experience, it's been my observation, some people, I, I think the, I think that the pandemic has made some people complacent relative to reestablishing relationships and just reestablishing their lives. I think some people have become very comfortable with Zoom and, and just those sorts of things. And it's like, 
No, no, I don't think I want to go out. No, I'm not going to go. Uh, you know, let, let's just have a Zoom conference in, instead of getting together, and, and just those sorts of things. So I, I've seen a lot of different things. Uh, and, and and Sam, please, it, it, obviously, I'll be glad to fill in any gaps there for you. Thank you. I de I definitely see myself experiencing both sides of the spectrum that you mentioned um and when we first started getting our ability to go back out into public again i was so excited i was one of the first ones back out going eating at restaurants and then i found comfort in my solitude like once i, I actually it happened after i got covid myself i was quarantined for like three to four weeks because of the wow. loss in my family I was yeah, living with yeah. my other parent. I wanted to be cautious because of the trauma we all went through. So it's Corona is something that we all took very seriously because of the circumstance. Um, so because I was in quarantine for so long, at first I I felt like I was having some kind of awakening because I was, I was forced to be by myself for a long time and I'm an extrovert by nature. So not having that outside stimulus to add to my personality I had to recreate myself and my inter my inner dialogue. After that, I started enjoying being alone and then I started mastering my crafts because I started being able to focus. And then now that focus and comfort is quite addictive. And I started to enjoy my own mental chatter instead of like resisting it and trying to fill it in with outside chatter. But now I'm feeling more nervous about going outside because of my comfort and solitude. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes, very, very much so to me. I mean, and I think I'm, 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 I'm almost the opposite, is that I'm, I'm more of an introvert. And yet, and I, I, you know, I've, I've always been comfortable being independent, being, I don't want to say being by myself. I, I enjoy my own company. I'll, I can, I'll put it that way, except one of the things that at, at times, and it, it's not, it's gotten better, much better over the years. At times, I've had to be careful not to become, quote unquote, like a hermit, if you will. And just like, no, I'm not going to go out because I like being here. It's like, yeah, well, you know what? You're a human being and you need to have that human contact. And I, I guess what I'm saying is we all, you know, every single individual out there needs to find the right quote-unquote balance for himself or herself. I think that's a perfect answer because you're right. It's very interesting being a human being because we have we have this this higher ability of thought where we can parent ourselves even though we're on our own bodies. Like so, we have like our primitive instincts, but we can articulate it, and that's where it's like really cool. Where you 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 know your comfort, but you have the discipline to say. Hey, we need to have balance here. Would you say that kind of balance is key to like maintaining healthy relationships? Oh goodness, yes, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and and that is that that that's such a key thing because without without relationships and without enough human contact, who am I? Mm. And 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 again, then then I'm going to be. I can almost become a prisoner to myself. And that's certainly not what I want. That's like, uh, reminds me of Plato's allegory of the cave. Spend enough time in our rooms in quarantine and the lights on the walls start looking like shadows. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> How does empathy tie into our relationships and keeping that balance? Sam, there's a, there's a quote that I, that I really, really like. And it, it, it's based on the business world, although I believe it's true across the board just for relationships themselves. And it, it's, it's just very simply, it comes from a guy named Dr. Daniel Goldman. And Goldman writes in one of his books, empathy represents the most important social skill to have at work. And I mean, I would, I, I would even change and change the last two words Empathy represents the most important social skill to have in life. I mean, I, I really do. And I mean, I think so many people misunderstand what empathy is. 
Coming up, Ron and I discuss what empathy is. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Can you tell us what empathy is? You know what? And, and again, I was thinking about this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it around just for a second. I hope you don't mind would would you would you mind just telling me what you think empathy is? What would be your definition of empathy? My definition of empathy is being able to relate and get in touch with how we would feel in that person's position based off our prior knowledge and our prior experiences. So instead of like seeing the concept like the idea of how someone's suffering like you can put yourself into that position like go through an experience thinking about what they're going through yes yep and and sam that's part of it and i i used to believe uh frankly the exact same thing if somebody had asked me years ago run to find empathy oh i know what empathy is Put yourself in the other person's shoes and feel what they feel. And that is a part of empathy. And after reading a lot about it and learning a lot about empathy, I've come to I've, I've come to realize there's much more to it than just that. Empathy has key has three key pieces to it. Empathy is all about understanding others. Empathy is about caring. Empathy is also about taking the appropriate action. And I mean, I'll, I'll walk through just briefly each piece of it because they're all critical. Understanding others. If I'm not clear about where, about what someone's perspective is on a situation, whether it's personal or professional, if I'm not sure where they're coming from or what they're thinking, what I really need to do is, is simply ask questions so that I can understand. And I mean, just some sample questions, or it's just so simple. What are your concerns about this? What's going on for you right now? What am I missing? I mean, and, and again, I actually, I, I made the comment to you earlier about running marathons. Uh, what, what I like to do when, when, I'm te- when, when I'm facilitating leadership sessions, the icebreaker I like to do, I'll put some questions on a flip chart and I ask the participants to talk to each other just to get to know each other a little bit. And I participate as well. My point simply is, did this in Philadelphia one time? And I got to talking with uh, this woman about running a little bit. And we were talking about marathons and she said, Ron, I could never run a marathon. And I didn't understand her. And candidly, I did not handle this as well as I should have. Because what I was trying to do was to convince her that she could run a marathon. So yes, you could. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of dedication. It's so much fun, though. When you cross that finish, no run. I could never run a marathon. And it, we, you know, we bantered for a little bit. And finally, she got irritated. She was like, Ron, you don't get it. I'd love to run a marathon. I have very bad knees. My doctor told me I'd hurt myself permanently if I ever did one. I didn't understand her. All I needed to do when she said to me, Ron, I, you know, I, I could never run a marathon. What are your concerns about running a marathon? And then, boom, there, then I know. Then I know. And Sam, the one thing, you know, you, and I, I appreciate the kind words in the introduction. I am a voracious reader. And the one thing I learned, and I, I still remember this because it, it was just so like, a, whoa, that's a keeper. My wife and I were flying home from San Francisco one day, and I was reading a book, and the author was talking about 
how do you know you understand someone? And what he said was, you know you've asked enough questions. You know you understand someone when you can tell their story. When you can tell their story, you know you've asked enough questions. Ron, I could never run a marathon. What concerns you about running a marathon? I have very bad knees and I would hurt myself. Boom, I know your story. I don't need to ask any questions. We can move on now. And I, I love that when you can tell their story. The second piece, Sam, of, uh, of empathy is caring. And what I always like to, what I always ask people to think about when we do this section is it, whether it's business or personal, just think about all the things about which you care in this given situation, okay? In, in a business situation, people, you know, often say, well, I care about my colleagues. I care about quality products. I care about safety. I care, you know, and just think about the list you would develop, okay? And then very simply, I always ask the question, can you set, given, given your list, can you satisfy everybody, everything on that list simultaneously at all times? And people, oh, and there, there you go, there you go. Classic, no. And the answer is no, it's impossible. What makes it impossible? Very often, in fact, it's, it's always been my experience. There are competing priorities there. Mm. there, there so you can, and again, the, the point simply is, part of empathy is that I need to make, and people need to make difficult decisions. And we need to have difficult conversations with people because we have competing priorities, to, you know, over things about which we care. And, and, and again, you know, some, some quotes that I just love, they come from an author, John Maxwell, and he writes, if you try to satisfy everyone all the time, you will alienate everyone instead. And that makes so much sense to me. I mean, it just doesn't, you know, oh, I don't want you to be angry with me, Sam, except, oh, you know, Jerry, my boss, I want you to be happy, and oh, you're my other co-worker, and I want you to be happy, so I'll do this for you, except, Jerry, I'm going to be late with this report, and it's like, everybody's mad at everybody, and at certain points in time, it, it just needs to be a tough conversation. Sam, you know what, I'm not, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to help you right now. I'm working on this report, and it, it, you know, I needed that. I need to have it to Jerry in an hour. I'll see you later. I'll help you later. Or you know, a, a tough conversation in that Sam, I'm concerned about you. It it just seems like you're not getting out much at all. You know, you haven't. You know, you you keep saying no. I don't want to go out next week, or I'm not going to join you for dinner tonight. And I'm concerned about you. What's happening? And, and again, you know, that may not be an easy conversation to have, you know, where it's like, Ron, back off. You know, I know what's best for me. Okay, fine. I'm doing it, though, because I care. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and again, all, you know, when, when we talk about empathy, too, it also needs to be sincere and it needs to be genuine. You know, in that it's not like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm supposed to ask you a couple of questions, so I will. And really what I'm after is my own agenda here is like, no, I really do want to understand. And like I said, the caring. And then the, the, the last piece is taking the appropriate action. I know your story. I understand. I've thought through the things about which I care. What do I need to do next? I can help you. Perhaps you need some assistance. Maybe you need some training. Maybe you need some guidance. Maybe we need to have a very difficult conversation here. And I mean, it's, it's interesting because uh, I'm not sure it's directly applicable still. Uh, we're, uh, we're in the middle right now of a major kitchen renovation. And I mean major, major work going on. And they've been at it for over four months. There's still probably two months of work left. And my wife and I were concerned about the lack of progress for a while. 
and we needed to have a tough conversation with the contractor. Let us understand. You know, Bill, we're concerned about the lack of progress. These are our concerns. What's happening? And you know, he explained it. We care about him. We care about the we care about the kitchen. We care about the progress. We care about safety, and we care about and we understand the supply chain. And, and the point is, finally, we did get on the same page where we understood each other. And it, we, you know, he explained to us, we explained to them, and all is well. Instead of having a shouting match, you're not making progress. You don't understand. You know, yeah, this is out of my control. I don't care what's out of your control. You told us you, and it, it was none of that. It was just none of that. And to me, Sam, that's the beauty of empathy, because and again, it goes back to relationships. And I mean, and, and again, you know, we we know this contractor well. Candidly, he's my wife's cousin. And that's all well and good, and you know because you know I I was so proud of all of us because we were calm. We you know nobody was angry, nobody raised their voices. We had a good conversation that helped everybody understand what our what our concerns were, where we were, and what needed to happen to move forward. And now we're making good progress again. I love that story because right when you were telling that, like, there's a couple of things I want to dive into, especially with um, with the tough conversation. Um, in my family, unfortunately, the way my aunts and my my parents grew up, the communication in the household was that screaming match. It was like you're not doing well enough in school. You're doing this like it was like shouting out everything that's wrong instead of anyone being a guide to some kind of bridge to a better, a, like a, you know, there, it was, there wasn't a lot of room for growth. It feels when you're being criticized. It, it's like our, our instinct is to shut down and escape. And I wanted to also mention that with your first story with the woman in the marathon, I really appreciate how you took that as an opportunity to grow and you, you like, you analyzed and held on to that conversation because a lot of times when people go through tough conversations like that, I mean, when they, you're, you're trying to comfort her, you're trying to encourage her and it's going in a direction that like you didn't really, you know, pick like, cause I, I've been through that as well. Being a, a, having a history of being a wrestling coach. Sometimes we think we're being encouraging. Sometimes we're, we're triggering the other person. I love that you held on to that experience and you found a lesson in it and you let yourself grow in it instead of shutting down and trying to get, talk to the next person. So when you were in that experience, was it instinct for you to... In this next clip, Ron and I discuss the traits of a good leader. Leave a comment on what qualities you think a good leader has. We would love to know. not run away like did you ever have tendencies of having avoidant behavior in the past oh I, absolutely I, you know absolutely and i mean i think you know and again similar experience just you know growing up as it were is that tough conversations didn't really didn't take place or or let, let me rephrase that understanding conversations really didn't take place that often and um, i'm going to go to i'm going to you reminded me of something I'm a big, big Stephen Covey fan from the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the one thing that Covey says in the Seven Habits, he said the greatest, greatest gift that parents can give to a child is to treat each other, husband and wife, with enormous, enormous respect. Because he said when the child sees how much the parents respect each other, he realizes that, yes, even though there are tough conversations, mom and dad love each other, mom and dad respect each other, and it, it, it all blends together, if you will. And I, you know, I think, too, the one key, key point here for me, and I heard you saying it, is about how critical it is to recognize people, to encourage people, and to show respect to people. 
Uh, I mean, that, that, that's one of the biggest reasons from a, from a professional perspective and from a business perspective, people become unhappy at work. And I mean, I, I believe that strongly overlaps into personal lives. I mean, it, it was funny because, again, a, a quick story, if I may. I did a, a two-day leadership class with Santa Fe Venice, the big pharmaceutical, a number of years ago. One of the participants came up to me when, when it was over and you know, shook my hand, Ron, thank you. I said, you know, what a great two days of training. And I was like, oh, you're welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And he leaned into me and he said quietly, he said, it was two days of something else, too. And I, I kind of thought I knew where he was going to go. And I was like, what? What do you mean? He said, Ron, it was two days of wonderful marriage counseling. <laughs> And, and again, Sam, I believe that so strongly that there's so much overlap. And, and again, you know, I'm a voracious reader. The, the book that I'm reading right now is called The Kind Leader. And right before we came on, I was reading it a little bit. And she was talking about how, how our personal lives impact our business lives and our business lives impact our personal lives. And everybody needs to treat each other kindly, respectfully, empathetically, which is what we've just been talking about. I, I love the idea of being a kind leader because when when I sit down and I think with my personal experience and like who I would choose as a leader, right? I think of kindness. And the strange thing is growing up in a household where there's a lot of like implicit like implicit aggression like there's nobody trying to be mean in my household I have a Puerto Rican family and they all went like through a lot so there's like trauma bonds where they're very loyal but sometimes you know they get triggered and you see their past and their present by accident well not well implicitly and um so growing up there is like in my ego I used to think leadership is dominance because that's what I grew up watching but then yes. joining into the business world and getting into the podcasting world and seeing where I'm actually submissive when it comes with an honorable way like not in a weak way like for example like my my boyfriend somebody that I consciously submit to because he speaks to me he's a kind leader if he sees something wrong like he's never coming out trying to belittle me where he's like well, can you see where maybe doing it this way could be more beneficial for you? Or like, he'll ask me if I'm open to suggestions and that definitely helps. So it's it's very interesting how in our, in our society, how when we think about a leader, we might think about someone who's like big, strong and muscles, but a real leader is somebody who has the capacity to be compassionate and considerate to who they're with. And not to get all biblical here, but like the person that stands out to me the most is like Jesus, where he was like the old supreme leader, but he was the most kind. Like he was kind to women. He was kind to thieves. He was kind to prostitutes. He, you know, he was spreading that kind of peace and he was never viewed as a weak man. So I, why do you think society, like our egos paint such a, such a contrasting picture of what we think leaders are, but what a leader actually is. Um, you know, Sam, while you were talking, what I was thinking about, uh, I think a lot of people are concerned about a lot of leaders, and again, whether it's personal or professional, I think a lot of a lot of people hesitate to make themselves vulnerable is that I can't show you, I, I don't want to show you anything, any side of me or any part of me that, again, quote unquote, is weak, or if I ask for help, that's bad. Or, you know, if I, if I, if I say, well, I'm not good at this, that, you know, that makes me weak in your eyes. For me, it's the exact opposite. Make, making yourself vulnerable is one of the best things any leader can do. Is that you know what? I don't understand this. I need help with this. I mean, one of one of the one of the best things, and this is all 
all part of emotional intelligence. The best leaders ask for help when they need it. The best leaders apologize when they're wrong and, 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 and just admit their mistakes. And I mean, I could, I could tell you story after story on both sides, good and bad at that. And obviously the one, the people for whom I have the most respect are the ones who indeed will apologize. I was wrong, I'm sorry. I, I had a I, I had a uh, an experience many years ago. Uh, I was I was I was younger, much younger, and we I was in a meeting with my colleagues, some of the most important people in our entire division. And I was working for Toshiba at the time. We're in this room, and I mean, the, you know, the highest level people. One of the training managers was giving a presentation. She asked a question. And I thought I knew where she was going with, with her question. I raised my hand. I was like, Carol, I think I know. And I answered her. And Sam, I'll never forget what Carol did in front of all these powerful people. She came over. She put her, she put her hand on my shoulder. Ron, I owe you an apology. My question was narrow. It was unfocused. And it was entirely unfair to you. I'm going in a different direction. And I need to rephrase it. She turned back to the group. Everybody, this is what I meant to ask. I went up to her after the meeting and I was like, Carol, how could you have done that? How could you have apologized like that in front of all those people? And she just looked at me so matter of fact that she goes, because I made you look bad and it was my fault. I love this story. <laughs> I was like, wow, Carol, <laughs> that's something I'll never forget. <laughs> Wow. And that, that was about 27 years ago, something like that. <laughs> That's incredible. So you, def you, you, had, you had so much experience studying, but you also had so much experience seeing good leaders yourself. Yeah. That's wonderful. I didn't expect that. <laughs> The other thing that I wanted to dive in on that I appreciated um, you saying is how having uncomfortable conversations is uh, kind of like a way of endearment. I actually did a YouTube video about this recently. I know you saw a few clips on it on Facebook, but I like growing up, I realized that my so I have like a family and a family of like strong people, but ironically, they don't handle confrontation easily, but you would think that they are confrontational. But I understand that there's a negative connotation to that word confrontation. And in my experience, when I moved out of my household, I, I lived in the South in Georgia, I was able to see a whole new way of life. And I had roommates that weren't related to me. And of course, what happens with roommates that aren't related to you, they have different lifestyles, different practices, different ideas of neatness and etiquette. And so I did not know how to handle myself when I was unhappy with a roommate situation. I didn't know how to ask, hey, maybe can you clean your dishes? Or maybe can you clean up after your dogs if they use the bathroom on the floor? Like, it was hard for me to be comfortable trying to make these suggestions. I didn't know how to like assert myself in that way in like a polite, yeah. polite way. And so learning how to sit down with my friends and communicate about where I'm coming from made me realize that if somebody's actually gonna go through an uncomfortable conversation with you, they actually really love you. Because if they didn't care, it's easier to just, you know, oh, there's eight billion people in the world I could keep it pushing. But instead, this person's deciding to turn around and build a relationship with you. So a lot of people think that when you find friends or if you find a boyfriend, you just find the right person and it's a match. But it's that's not the case. Like it's building relationships because it's always under construction, right? That's right. That's exactly right. And you know, Sam, again, you're you're reminding me of something, at least for me. That, that is so critical, and it, it can be with the, with a family, it can be with roommates, it can be with, and again, the business world or whatever, is just very simply how critical it is to set expectations. 
so that everybody is clear. You know, and again, I'm just thinking about with your with your roommates. Is just getting together when 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 a new person comes to live there, or if everybody is just moving into a new place together. Hey, you know what, everybody? Let's sit down. How are we going to behave? How are we going to treat each other? And and then just come up with a list. We do our dishes within four hours of using them. Yeah, again, whatever. Yeah, you know, absolutely. What are some exercises we can do to build to build boundaries? Also, I want to add to that. What can we do to build boundaries if we start a conversation with someone? Like, let's say that person starts taking it personal and they get upset. How can we handle a situation where someone's getting triggered by us trying to place boundaries? Sometimes, sometimes there are a, a number of different things. Number one, being empathetic and and listening empathetically. And Sam, what I mean by that very simply. If you're starting, if you and I are having a conversation, and you're starting to get upset, or if I am, you know, whatever, it work both ways. I mean, if you're starting to get upset, though, listening empathetically, Sam, it seems like this is tough right now for you. Sam, it, it seems it, it seems like this is really upsetting to you right now. Do you need a break? Would it, you know, how about if we, how about if we reconvene in a half an hour? Sam, you know what? It's it seems it seems like this is this is a difficult conversation for the two of us to, to navigate by ourselves. Maybe we should bring someone else in. Is there anybody else we can bring in to talk about this? And I mean, and again, it just in 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 the business world, Sam, you know what? We're having a difficult time coming to consensus here. Maybe we need to escalate this. Maybe you know, maybe we need to take this to the boss and let he or she decide or. Like, you know, let, let's let's bring him in or her in on this. So again, just you know, some possibilities there. Listening empathetically. One of one of the big things, though, for me, and again, this is just me. I love I love. You know what? It seems like this is difficult right now. Let's take a break. Can can we just take a break here and reconvene? And and you know, my my wife and I went through some something like that. Uh, and 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 I and by the way, I wanted to mention to him. Sorry about the loss of your mom. That must have been difficult. Uh, you know, when when we 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 lost Lori's mom, it'll be I think either eight or nine years in a couple of weeks. It was it was difficult. And I mean, we lived together for our, our entire marriage. We lived with our mom. And when she wasn't well, there were some very difficult conversations that we needed to have. And I mean, you know, because you know, my my mother-in-law wanted to be at home when she died, and we wanted to try to honor that for her. Except it was very difficult for us to take care of her, even though we had a 24-hour aid. You know, blah 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 blah. My whole point simply is, though, we were talking about it one night. I had had a very long day at work. I had been in Manhattan all day, and we were both emotional. And I just said to I said to my wife, "Is like, Gloria, you know what?" Maybe we need to table this. This is just not not a good time for us to talk about it. You're upset. I'm upset too. I'm enormously tired. Can we just let, 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 let's let's talk about this tomorrow? And that's what we did. Instead of sitting there, you know, just bang, not not banging heads necessarily, just not making any progress. Let's just take a break, and we can both, you know, reconvene, refreshed, if you will. I think that's perfect because sometimes when we take space, it's easier to articulate like where we're actually coming from. Because what I noticed is like when I start getting upset, it's a full-on sensation that takes over my body, and then it like comes out of my mouth as words, and like I'm not my frontal lobe is not connected to it. Like exactly, I usually <laughs> yeah, I usually know what I'm saying after I say it, and that's when I'm like. And, and you know what, Sam? One 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 thing here, because this is all part of emotional intelligence, and it, it's interesting because research shows very very clearly, human beings we feel before we think. We have to because of the way our brains are configured. When we take in information. 
the information that we hear hits the limbic part of the brain first, where the emotional center is. So we feel in nanoseconds the information that we've heard gets to, gets to the cerebral area of the brain where we think, except we were feeling first. And that's the reason very often the sensation comes out, we blurt something out, it's like, oh, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> and part of that is, though, a, a, a tool that I like is just if you want to try to avoid saying things that you're going to regret or doing something that you're going to regret, is use what, what I like to call PRD. And that is very simply when you get emotional, PRD, pause, reflect, and then decide what to do. Sometimes it's necessary decision-wise to respond on the spot. If you've paused and reflected though, at least your brain is in the cerebral area and you're gonna get a bit of logic. And again, the same thing you and I were just talking about, pause, reflect, you know what? I'm really upset right now. I'm starting to get really emotional. Can we just postpone this for an hour? Can we, can, can we reconvene tomorrow morning with this? Or maybe pause, reflect, let me get some advice from someone else. Well, I love that because if we, this is such a mature conversation. Like my inner child is listening and I'm like, wow, <laughs> like <laughs> what, would our world, what would our world be if this was taught in schools? Oh, <laughs> don't get me started on that too. And, that, and, 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 and again though, in, interestingly Sam, my wife taught for 30 years. Uh, in, uh, she taught grammar school fifth grade for 30 years. One of, the, one of the greatest lessons she used to teach, and I, I think this is just beyond brilliant, candidly. She used to teach a lesson called, it is not about how smart are you, it is about how are you smart. We're all smart. We're all smart in different ways. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the quote, unquote, nerdy kids, oh, you nerd, you know, all you do is, 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 you know, you know, get on the computer or whatever. It's like, no, that's how I'm smart. And other people are smart with numbers. Other people are, are smarter, quote, unquote, building relationships. And these, this, all of this needs to be taught in school. There, there's not a doubt in my mind. In fact, I have, I, I've worked a little bit with some people to try to start campaign for that <laughs> i think emotional intelligence would be great for kids who you know with adhd i personally have adhd and dyslexia and when i was growing okay. up i had to do like a lot of extra classes and i noticed that and i, I was also like two years ago i was a behavioral technician for kids on the spectrum yeah I noticed that like adults get just as overwhelmed as children when trying to guide children and sure. that if we taught a more emotional intelligence to kids that are struggling with self-regulation could benefit them a lot in articulating the experience they're going through because since I have my own experience with these meltdowns it's when we get hyper stimulated and then I guess it's not going it's not going cerebral it's all limbic it's bouncing around in there and yeah, then yeah. it's like a panic like an anxiety attack most of these like erratic behaviors or impulsive behaviors and I'm, as an adult trying to take care of a child and protect the child from their own reactions i i wish it was like there was more parenting courses on how to have guided conversations with these children because it's incredible how articulate kids are nowadays like my 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 boyfriend's niece she just became five years old she's bilingual she knows how to like type facetime so articulate in both languages uh -huh. and i was like five years old learning how to say kitchen the right way <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and you know again see all of this though the kids need to understand this about each other too you know, and, 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 and if, if, if that could happen, 
again, we, and we, we knew each other's stories, the interactions that would take place would be so much more understanding, I believe. And, you know, and again, just, yeah, I mean, I, again, I can tell you story after story about this. I mean, we had, I had a, I had a woman in class one time, a young lady. Uh, we, we started at, at nine o'clock in the morning and it was maybe 10, 15, 10, 30. We hadn't been going long at all. She was starting to make some inappropriate comments. And after a little while, so her comments started to become sexual. And I was like, man, what's going on here? We took a break and I was going to talk. I, I was headed towards her to talk to her. And she came to me and she was like, Ron, I am so sorry. She said, I have a mild case of Tourette's. I blurt things out and sometimes it becomes sexual. And my point simply is two things. Number one, I, I don't remember her name. I'm going to call her Sharon. It's like, Sharon, number one, thank you for telling me. I really appreciate it. Number two, though, we need to let the client, we need to let the rest of your colleagues know about this. And I said, we can do it one of two ways as I see it. I can explain it to them, or if you would rather, I'll leave it in your hands. She said, no. She said, I would rather do it. We came back, and I think, you know, class, you know, before we, we reconvene, Sharon wants to just, you know, have the floor for a moment. And she said very simply, hey, everybody, I'm really sorry about before. I have a mild case of Tourette's, and sometimes when I blurt things out, it's inappropriate, and if it happens, goodness, it's not intentional. How do you think the group reacted to that? They probably like went, <laughs> oh, that's normal. <laughs> Thank you for telling us. Yeah. Thank you. Now we know the story. You know, go back to the empathy. Now we understand. Now it's okay. Because everybody, you can see everybody else going on here. It's, what is she weird or, you know, whatever. No, she's not weird. She's got Tourette's. Now we know it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that I, the power of confessing. And like you said, like, the more vulnerable we are and honest we are, the stronger we are, right? Because it's less, it's less criticized that we feel. A lot of times, like, I guess in that, in the sense of the way, like, when we try to hide our flaws, like, that's probably what's creating our anxiety. Because now we're over here wondering, like, who's noticing? But if we just blurted it out, then nobody notices because they already know. They don't have to like stare at you and be like, hmm, something's I off. <laughs> I, I had a, I had a conversation with, with a, a very well-known high school football coach. Actually, actually, uh, I was a guest on another podcast, and he, he was a guest as well. He was, he was part of the show. And we were talking about emotional intelligence, and I, I am a believer, and again, I speak for myself, although I recommend it highly to my clients, is that share your strengths openly with people, proudly and confidently, also, I recommend that you share your limitations with people openly and humbly. And I said, Coach, do you believe in that? And he was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No way. And I was like, okay, what are your concerns? People will use my, my limitations against me. And my comment and my thinking on that simply is, I would rather, Sam, tell you my limitations myself rather than have you discover them about me. Mm -hmm. I would rather tell you, be vulnerable. That way I control the dialogue. So Ron, can you tell us what the difference between empathy and sympathy is? For me, the, the biggest difference between empathy and sympathy, empathy is about understanding, like we were saying. Empathy is that I don't understand what's going on. Sympathy is, I feel sorry for you. Mm. Sympathy for your mother. You know, Sam, Sam, I'm really, really sorry. I sympathize that you lost for your mother. I feel sorry for you. My, my wife's, my, very, very sadly, and unfortunately, my wife's best friend is having some very serious medical problems right now. She needs her leg amputated. I feel sorry for her. I sympathize with her. Empathy is when I don't really understand and I want to ask the questions. So I hope that makes sense. That clears things up a lot. That's actually, I like that you mentioned asking questions because it reaffirms what the right thing is to do. Like gather more data, let the person speak. Like being a good listener is so healing. 
So how can we use emotional intelligence to help regulate inner turmoil? Sometimes, I guess, I guess the answer you answered that with the pause. Pause, reflect, decide. And I think, you know, another part of the self-turmoil, Sam, at least for me, goes back to one of the most important things anyone can do. And again, personally, professionally, whatever it is, the better you know yourself, the more effective you're going to be when you work with others. And, and when I say getting to know yourself, what are your strengths? What are your limitations? What do you love to do? What triggers you? You know, cause, and, and I heard you say it. You know, you were talking before about it. I don't know what, what actually the triggers are. You were saying, though, sometimes when I get emotional, my whole body feels it. And it's like, yeah, you need to be aware of that. What kind of situations trigger you? Because then you can start at least to be ready for it and to regulate yourself when it does happen. Or even excuse yourself, quote unquote, from that situation or remove yourself from that situation. Thank you. I find myself removing myself a lot, but it really does help. <laughs> and now I'm learning how to stay calm in the heat of the moment and be like and it's about my tonality too because when I get emotional my Latin side comes out and I start speaking <laughs> and then I learned how to like just speak for the other person to understand like not to berate someone with words because back then like my family used to interrupt each other so much that when I was growing up I thought speaking like a part of speaking was interrupting each other like I thought it was like a singing contest like who can say this first but right. it's nice to like be refreshed and to hear all these different tools that we have in our belt that we might not readily know about but it's like right here like it's great to know that the limbic system takes in the response first and like that's what we process because all of my life I was like why am I so emotional but it's nice to know like that's normal and it's about sure. yeah going it's, through it it's all normal see and and again though Sam I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back uh to something that that you just said because is that I, I used to think that you know it would be nice to have a conversation without being interrupted that's part of setting expectations Mm-hmm. Can can we please agree? If, even if it's just one on one, if it's a family dynamic, again, if it's a business meeting, everybody, can we please agree that we will not interrupt each other? When Sam has the floor, when anyone has the floor, we honor that individual. We listen to that individual, and then if somebody interrupts, you need to have you and or I, you know, who somebody at the table needs to have the courage. Wait a second, wait a second, we're violating the expectations. Sam has the floor. Mm. And, and pe people will respect that. And again, it, it just keeps, it keeps things calmer. It keeps things more, uh, the only word that's coming to me is peaceful. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. Harmonious. Harmonious, thank you. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. How can we become present in our lives after detaching so long? So I want I want to go back to what, what we were mentioning about the avoidant behaviors. How can we move out of being uh, using avoidance as an escape when we're stressed? Um, and how can we get comfortable coming out of our comfort zone? Sam, I think I'm going to go to... So again, I'm going to refer back to some, some information from the seven habits and, and Stephen Covey's work. Habit, habit seven talks about, it's called sharpening the saw. And what, what he talks about in the habit is we need to take really good care of ourselves in order to be able to work well with others. And he talks about scheduling time to do things. And, and this can be 
with ourselves or with other people and actually scheduling the time in advance. You know, in, in other words, next Tuesday, I'm, you know, I'm going to go to dinner with my boyfriend. Tuesday, Tuesday's date night for us. And when Wednesday afternoon, and I'm, I'm just taking this out of the air, Wednesday afternoon, I'm going to go to the cemetery and I'm going to visit mom. And, and again, just the, these sorts of things is making commitments to yourself, scheduling it so that it is indeed on your calendar. And then you, you, you need to be accountable for that. Part, part, of, part of that too, though, can also be having, having what, what I like to call an accountability partner. Telling somebody, I'm going to do this next week. I need you to hold me accountable. Okay, and you know when 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 I was running marathons, my my niece Kate uh, had been an elite marathoner at one point in time, and you know I would talk to her almost like just about every week, and she would just ask me, usually on a Sunday when we would talk, how many miles are you going to run this week? And I'd be like, uh, all right, I'll I'll do seventy miles this week. Okay, so when I talk to you next Sunday, Uncle Ron, you will have done 70 miles, right? And I didn't want to disappoint her. So again, there's the commitment, and that's pulling out of yourself. So, you know, Sam, you will, and again, just as an example here, at least two, at least two times this week, you are going to get out, and you will, you you will go for a walk with your friend, Lori. Uh, you know, whatever. Those sorts of things, though. And that's how we can get out of ourselves. And that's what starts to, again, at least for me, build the confidence and just build the, and, and realize, yeah, it's fine. I can do this. I love that practice. I love that. Yeah. Now we got some rapid fire on so far. So these questions are a little bit more, more fun. And I just want to show my appreciation for your expertise and your wisdom and your generosity with your time for being on our podcast and giving our listeners a whole bunch of tools for them to regulate their emotions and to appreciate their form. I think a lot of people misunderstand that I am more of an introvert than an extrovert. You know, a, a lot of people think, oh, you're, you know, you're really outgoing and you're, you're so, you're so friendly and, and, and yeah, I, I try to be deep, deep down. I am an introvert and I mean, I, I, I re-energize by being, by either being, you know, just with small groups of people. I mean, I love spending time just with my wife and I, that's energizing for me. And I think a, a lot of people misunderstand that. <laughs> are you an introvert or an ex- well yeah you answer that one <laughs> I, I i am i am an introvert although although i and again over the years i have i have gotten better mm-hmm. at I, I don't want to say at, at, at establishing relationships i've gotten better at being with bigger crowds of people and by bigger crowds of people 10 12 13 14 I mean, I, I enjoy it. I still enjoy the smaller groups more, no doubt. Me too. What underrated tools are indispensable for your job? I think, and again, as, as I gave this some thought before the show, I think the, my ability to build and sustain relationships is what's critical. And, and, and truly, and, and, and I hope you believe me, Sam, because it is true, the ability to use empathy and understand is just an indispensable tool for me. Absolutely. I, I aim to have the poise to ask those three questions next time I get into a heated discussion. <laughs> I definitely feel a lot more confident in these realms after speaking with you, Ron. I really enjoyed my time talking to you. Good. So did I. It's been fun. Absolutely. And if you would ever like to be a guest on the Organic Matrix again, I would love to break down some more of these human walls that we have to deal with, our constructs. Yeah, yeah, Sam, absolutely. I would welcome the opportunity. 
you'd like to give our audience before we go? You know, I think, I think probably, I'm, I'm going I'm to go back to what I had said earlier. The most important, one of the most important things anyone can do in order to be happy and or successful, get to know yourself extremely well. The better you know yourself, the better off you'll be dealing with others. That That's my pearl, if you will. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ron. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you, Sam. You do the same. It's been really fun talking to you. If you found our conversation with Ron insightful and you would like to work with him personally, you can find him on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram on the links below. If you're enjoying our podcast, subscribe to our show so you don't miss out on the amazing guests we have lined up for you. If you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions, feel free to tag us on social media for exclusive content and articles. Bookmark our website, www.organicmatrix.net. Stay safe, and I'll see you on the next download.